The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm delighted today to welcome to the show John Major Jenkins, an authority on the galactic alignment of December 21st, 2012 and the Maya teachings around it. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Peter. I'm very glad to be here. There's been all sorts of hype and hullabaloo and contradictory information about 2012, and I don't want to spend too long on it because I want to hear about your findings, but what would you say about all the different beliefs and ideas around 2012? Well, the main uh, misconception uh, is, is really sort of in the marketplace with uh, the idea that the Maya predicted the end of the world in 2012, and uh, there's, there's absolutely no indication that uh, the authentic Maya material that relates to 2012 uh, says anything about uh, an apocalyptic doomsday scenario that the Maya expected or predicted or prophesied. So that's one of the big ones. Uh, there's also a lot of other things that dance around the 2012 topic. It's, uh, uh, I think the main, the main issue with it is that um, there's, there's not a lot being done to really delve deeply into the authentic Maya material itself. Uh, this is something that I've held close to my heart in the work that I've done with uh, the Maya and the Maya calendar and Maya cosmology and creation myth teachings uh, going back to the mid-1980s when I took my first trip to uh, Central America. I think it's really important to honor and respect the authentic material as it relates to uh, Maya teachings, and uh, that's been my mission, is to be a clear conduit and a discerning voice on sharing the uh, Maya science and cosmology and spiritual teachings that relate to this 2012 uh, date. So let's just talk about that. Let's talk about the wisdom that can be gained from the Maya teachings. Uh, first of all, let's tell, tell us about the calendar because, it's, again, it's something that people know about but probably don't know accurately the details of it. Just talk us about uh, the calendar, and, and, and there are two yeah. different calendars, of course. So yeah, there are two different calendars, and uh, the surviving calendar in the highlands of Guatemala is the 260-day calendar called the Zolkin, 
and the calendar priests and shamans still use it to time the ceremonies that they do at different shrines. It consists of 13 numbers and 20 day signs or glyphs. So 20 times 13 is 260. It's like the sacred round. It's, it's based upon the human gestation period, actually, nine months of human gestation. So it represents or symbolizes um, a period of human unfolding in, in microcosm, you might say. And uh, what's basically fascinating about this is that this 260-day calendar that still is followed in the highlands of Guatemala is an unbroken tradition that goes back probably 3,000 years. So it's been followed in an unbroken way uh, consistently uh, since before the, uh, the classic period Maya uh, did their thing between 200 A.D. and 900 A.D. So that's a fascinating thing to consider. Um, it is sort of the core building block of the Maya calendar systems. Uh, but as you mentioned, there's, there's really two systems. And the other one is the, the long count calendar. This is the one that gives us the, the 2012 period ending. Um, the long count, unlike the 260-day Zolkin, stopped being followed by the Maya centuries ago, and it's been lost and forgotten. So this has been the tricky thing. The work that I've been engaged in is reconstructing a lost calendrical cosmology connected to this, and to understand the long count and the 2012 date, uh, one has to sort of delve through the material and piece things back together. So the 2012 date, December 21st of 2012, is the end of a period of some 13 baktuns in the long count calendar. That's uh, 5,125 years. So the calendar is connected to this idea of world ages. And one world age is coming to completion in 2012. The Maya basically had a cyclic view of time, and that's expressed in their long count calendar. So uh, the, this is the exciting news is that uh, somewhat surprisingly and ironically, as we get closer and closer to this 2012 period ending, it is precisely now that we are putting all the pieces back together to understand accurately what the original uh, Maya teachings uh, for 2012 are about. Now, could you spend a couple of minutes just explaining to us how we know from the Longcat Maya calendar that it is actually the date is December 21st, 2012? Sure, yeah, this is an essential thing. It's sort of the uh, the building blocks of how one approaches the reconstruction. It has to do with what's called the calendar correlation. When scholars were discovering hieroglyphs and inscriptions uh, back about 150 years ago, they realized there was a calendar there, and they started uh, figuring out how it works. And uh, they basically had to figure out then how this calendar, the Maya calendar, correlates to our own time reference, the Western Gregorian system. So then when we were looking at the dated inscriptions of past glories of Maya kings and all that kind of thing that we, they were finding, uh, then you could place it in real time. So it has to do with the correlation question. And beginning in the 1880s, it was looked at uh, by a German scholar. And then it was actually an independent thinker named Joseph T. Goodman who figured out the correlation, and he published that in 1905. 
And it took another couple of decades for scholars to test it and confirm it, and it became known as the GMT correlation. And so it's actually gone through decades and decades of testing with an interdisciplinary set of criteria from astronomy to ethnography to the calendrics and the historical documents and so on. And there's really, uh, you know, no reason to counter this correlation uh, that makes the long count calendar cycle ending fall on December 21st of 2012. This is, this is another area where you have a lot of noise uh, being generated in the popular uh, material, uh, popular books in the marketplace on this, where people often disregard the facts, the fundamental facts of the calendar, such as the correlation, and they try to invent their own systems or models or, or correlation and so on. So that's, that's really it. Um, it's just based upon um, the work that's been done to correlate the two calendars, and it's been tried and tested over about a 100-year period. And what does the actual, when you say the correlation, what does the actual Longcamp Maya calendar look like if you were to look at it? I know we haven't got any, we can't use any uh, pictures or diagrams here, but could you describe what the calendar actually looks like? Sure. The dates in the long count basically have five place values. So on an inscription, you would see uh, a glyph that represented one of the five place values. And next to that glyph, you'd see uh, a bar or dots. And dots, of course, represent one. A dot represents one, and a bar represents five. So you might see two bars and two dots next to a glyph for the cartoon period. Then you would know that that should be the 12th cartoon. Uh, uh, and then, you, of course, you'd have other indications of dots and bars for the other place values as well. Uh, so you might, you might have a total glyph inscription that would be dated, say, nine baktuns, 16 cartoons, four tunes, one huinal, and one day. You add up all of those periods, and then you could date it. And uh, that date, for example, would correspond to May 7th of 755 A.D. So that's, uh, that's how the date system works. It's basically a hieroglyphic inscription using uh, dots and bars for numbers. And so with, within that inscription, then, that, that leads us to a particular glyph uh, that corresponds to December 21st, 2012. So, so what, is that, what is that glyph? What is that, uh, that in, the cal in the long count calendar? Uh, well, that, is, uh, that would be read uh, 13 baktuns dot zero dot zero dot zero dot zero. So it's a hieroglyphic inscription that would indicate the end of the 13th baktun, the completion of the 13 baktun cycle or period. So that particular um, glyph it corresponds to uh, a galactic alignment in the universe. Well, yeah, this is the core of the research that I've done to reconstruct uh, why the Maya were interested in this in the state, or said another way, why they decided to end to place their long count calendar in such a way that this 13 baktun period happened to end on December 21st of 2012. And it should be said that it's, you know, this, you know, we use the terminology of end date and end and so on, but it's not to say that the calendar ends or time ends or the Maya believe that the earth would end or anything like that. It's the end of a cycle. 
so cycles repeat, you know, cycles end and then begin again. And so that's just another little side issue there with uh, how the terminology gets mis- mis- uh, uh, misunderstood. And uh, the work that I've done uh, basically began in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. I noticed that December 21st is a solstice. So I started to question why that would be. It certainly seemed to me to indicate that there was probably some kind of intention behind this end date. And in the academic literature, there was no indication at all, really, that the Maya you know, had uh, any kind of intentional uh, thought or belief about it. So my work in the early 90s then uh, hit upon the, the fact that we are in this period of rare astronomical alignment. Uh, and we can get into that if you'd like to. Uh, this is the astronomical reconstruction, and it has to do with what you referred to as the galactic alignment. This so John, is, we're actually coming up to our first break. Yeah. So I would love you to talk about this galactic alignment very specifically when we return back. This is Peter Tung with John Major Jenkins for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. What's it like? What's it like? It's lonely. It's really lonely. I miss my brother. I miss my brother. I'm surrounded by other people, but it's not the same. I've got other people around me, but it's not the same. It's pretty scary, but I don't let it rattle me. It's pretty scary around here, but I don't let it rattle me. You always have to watch your back. There's no one to watch my back. I spend my whole day worried who's out to get me. I'm always wondering who's out to get me. But I can take care of myself. But I can take care of myself. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. It's not like I have a choice. It's not like I have a choice. This'll all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. This'll all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. Go to jail for a gun crime and your family serves a sentence with you. Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. 
This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation, and I'm your host, Peter Tong. I have with me today John Major Jenkins, an authority on the Galactic Alignment. December 21st, 2012, and I'm going to ask John now to do his best to explain to us exactly what that alignment is. Okay, well, um, I can define it very clearly, and, and the point of my definition is to get across the fact that this is really a fact of astronomy. It's not a mystical, metaphysical concept. I'm speaking of it only in terms of an astronomical alignment, and uh, the reason why it, that has to be emphasized is because there's debunkers and critics out that are out there, you know, astronomers and and even scholars who are are trying to uh, 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 say that this is not even a real thing. You know, there's a NASA scientist who's out there uh, doing interviews and saying that it's not even a real alignment. So this is a completely ridiculous uh, sort of thing that one has to deal with. Uh, one can basically Google uh, what is the galactic alignment and find a page that I put up on my website about 11 years ago, and it's been there. It's actually probably the first page that comes up in a search. If you even just type in galactic alignment, I think that that page is the first page that comes up, and it has the scientific astronomical definitions of what this is. So uh, the galactic alignment is a uh, phenomenon, an alignment, caused by the precession of the equinoxes. The precession of the equinoxes is caused by the slow wobble of the Earth on its axis. The Earth, of course, spins once every 24 hours, giving us the day period, but there's also a very slow wobble, and it effectively changes our orientation to the larger sky picture. And one complete wobble takes 26,000 years. So go to Wikipedia or Google it. It's a, it's a real thing. One of the effects of this is that it causes the position of the sun on the equinoxes or the solstices to slowly shift through the sky. And the sun on the equinoxes or solstices will come into alignment with different background features over this 26,000-year cycle. So uh, one of the background features is the bright band of the Milky Way. And if we go out on a dark midsummer night camping and we look up at the uh, sky, we can see the bright band of the Milky Way arching overhead. It looks like a white road or, or river. And of course, the ancients, uh, ancient Maya and other sky watchers were very interested in the Milky Way. It was mythologized in various ways. Uh, and, and so basically what's happening then is that the, the sun on the December solstice will come into alignment with this bright band of the Milky Way periodically over this 26,000-year period. And it just so happens that in our era, 
we are living in one of these eras of rare galactic alignment. And so uh, now there's various ways to define the range. And when, you know, you, one thing that is important to understand is that it doesn't happen precisely on and only on December 21st of 2012. Uh, the Maya, the ancient Maya stargazers who were looking up at the sky and tracking these slow celestial alignment processes, uh, they could project forward and they, they knew that these two things were moving closer and closer together, the December solstice sun's position and the Milky Way. They were converging. And so that's why they created their long count calendar, according to my reconstruction research, and why they chose this date, December 21st of 2012, to uh, highlight the era that they believed would be a time of great uh, transformation for consciousness, a great opportunity for consciousness. So the galactic alignment can be defined as the alignment of the December solstice sun with the bright band of the Milky Way, specifically in the region of Sagittarius. And the reason why I say that is because there's another astronomical feature that lies along the Milky Way that was very, very, very important to the Maya. It's uh, called the Dark Rift. Uh, the Dark Rift is an astronomical feature caused by interstellar dust. There's little blotchy areas along the Milky Way there. And the Dark Rift was mythologized by the Maya as a rebirth place, a birthplace in the sky. So this, you know, uh, indicates right away uh, how the Maya were thinking about the alignment. It's when the sun aligns with the rebirth place in the sky. And that's exactly why they connected it to ideas of world renewal, renewal, transformation and rebirth, rather than some kind of apocalyptic doomsday idea. And that leads right into how they integrated this profound astronomical knowledge with their teachings and their Maya creation myth. So, so you're actually saying that, that this is, a, is an opportunity as opposed to a cataclysm? Yeah, that's exactly how the Maya thought about it. Uh, they, they thought of it as the end of a cycle. And at the end of a cycle, there's an opportunity to uh, transform and uh, renew uh, consciousness in the world. Uh, they had, of course, it's part of their doctrine of world ages. So it's, it's all about teachings intended to uh, facilitate uh, a renewal of the world. You mentioned earlier the, the 5,125-year cycle, and this is the 26,000-year cycle. So these are cycles within cycles. Yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> I believe that that 5,125-year cycle, which is a period of 13 Bakhtuns that comes to completion in 2012, that's one-fifth of the full 26,000-year cycle, roughly. And in the Maya World Age Doctrine, they did have five World Ages. And uh, so it fits really nicely with the grand cycle of the 26,000-year procession period. And, uh, and, and so that, you know, there's, there's levels of complexity in this discussion, but the bottom line is that there is a great deal of evidence in the Maya material that uh, proves that they were aware of this future alignment of the sun and the dark rift on the solstice in, in our era, in the 2012 era. So perhaps we should now connect then this alignment with the Maya themselves and what they say about it. Yeah, yeah, this is, um, 
you know, we can start by sort of, uh, well, I guess I'd like to sort of just frame it a little bit by saying that the work that I've done to understand what the ancient Maya were actually saying uh, comes from my work at the early Maya site of Izapa, which is in southern Mexico. It's a pre-classic site that was active about 2,100 years ago. And Izapa uh, contains different monument groups that are oriented to the sky, to the horizons, in certain ways. There's a, a December solstice alignment there that's really significant. But there's also over 60 carved monuments. Uh, they're pictographic, and these carvings are portraying episodes from the Maya creation myth. You see on these carvings the hero twins and the father of the hero twins who gets reborn at the end of the age. All of these deities have astronomical identities, and the father of the hero twins who gets reborn at the end of the cycle corresponds to, believe it or not, the December solstice sun. So we start to see how the creation myth is actually describing the astronomical convergence that culminates in the years around 2012. So I just wanted to sort of lay that out there so people don't think that I'm just making up a whole bunch of stuff. I'm actually reading the creation myth at the origin place of the long count calendar. Uh, and so what we find is that the mythology is expressing a beautiful spiritual teaching about how to successfully facilitate transformation and renewal. How does the consciousness get renewed? How does the spirit transform and open up to a new understanding of its relationship to the universe? Uh, well, this is, this is really what it's about. Um, the Maya believed that uh, at the end of the cycle, there'd be a challenge and an opportunity uh, for humanity to open up to a reconnection with the big picture, to dispense with the uh, limitations of the previous era and move into a healthier new uh, cycle. Perhaps it would be helpful if you actually went, went over the actual Mayan creation myth for us. Okay, yeah. Uh, basically... Uh, the hero twin myth is about the adventures of the hero twins trying to facilitate the rebirth of their father. Their father had been called into the underworld to do battle with the lords of darkness. And the lords of darkness challenged him to a ball game in the underworld ball court. They tricked him, and they cut his head off, and they hung his head in a tree. But this deity, the father of the hero twins, was also pretty tricky himself. And what he did is that he uh, called over a maiden who was walking by and told her to hold out her hand. And this skull hanging in the tree spit into her hand and magically conceived the hero twins. And she later gave birth to the hero twins, and they were destined to avenge the decapitation of their father and facilitate his rebirth. So what happened to happen? What, hap, what had to happen before that is that the hero twins themselves had to do battle with the lords of darkness, and the hero twins were tricksters, and they succeeded in sacrificing the lords of darkness, who were all hell-bent on deceiving humanity and keeping humanity uh, stuck to limitation and controlling humanity through fear. 
So you see this dynamic happening, and this is the... Yeah, John, we're coming up to yeah, our next yeah, break. Yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, fascinated by the, the myth because it sounds very much like what we're going through in the world today, which I guess is the point. Yeah, so we'll continue fair. with John Major Jenkins after this break. Uh, fascinating discussion. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See? There you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tung left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm. The Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Visit PeterTongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at PeterTongue.com. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tung. I have with me today John Major Jenkins, who is talking to us about the Maya teachings around December 21st, 2012. Just before the break, John, you were talking about the Maya creation myth. So perhaps you could continue with that. Yeah, yeah, we're getting to the good part here. Uh, the hero twins 
were destined to avenge the death of their father who had been sacrificed by the lords of darkness. And so as they're on their journey, they have to do battle with the lords of darkness. And in fact, the sort of head honcho of the lords of darkness is a deity named Seven Macaw. Seven Macaw appears at the end of the cycle, and he is uh, 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 an archetype of limitation. He squawks loudly and magnifies himself. He's sort of like the archetype of out-of-control egoism, just self-serving, and he's hell-bent on deceiving and controlling humanity. And the Hero Twins have to do away with Seven Macaw and the other Lords of Darkness before they can work on resurrecting their father. Now, this actually happens. The Hero Twins are tricksters, and what they do is that they sacrifice the, uh, the Lords of Darkness, and they sacrifice Seven Macaw. And I believe that this starts to uh, help us understand how this myth is more than just a quaint fairy tale. It's actually touching about, upon very profound spiritual teachings. The idea is that um, self-serving egoism needs to be sacrificed or put back into proper place. It's not that we want to sacrifice the ego, per se, because the ego has a place. It's, it, the problem is when ego gets deputized to take the role of the whole integrated consciousness, the big picture. You might say the divine self, as Carl Jung would say. And, uh, and so after the Hero Twins sacrifice Seven Macaw and the other Lords of Darkness, then they can go to their decapitated father, put his head back with his body, and he gets reborn at the end of the cycle. And this is basically a metaphor for the December solstice sun moving into alignment with the Dark Rift and the Milky Way. So you see the two things go together. And when Wanhunapu gets reborn, that symbolizes humanity awakening, opening up, to having a reconnection, to being reconnected into a whole consciousness and um, no longer being limited by being stuck to the surface of reality that uh, the archetype of egoism wants us to be stuck to. And so there's these dynamics going on. It's the dynamic between out-of-control egoism, greed, selfishness, and a kind of whole consciousness that can make decisions based upon the good of the whole, or as the Iroquois Indian would say, they make political decisions based upon how it affects seven generations down the road. So these are the spiritual teachings for 2012, and I think, uh, amazingly, they're very, very appropriate for what's going on in the world today. I would certainly say so. I've got a lot of thoughts going through my head at the moment, but uh, what happens in the end? The The father regains his head, and what happens next? Well, that is the he, he basically takes his throne in the center of the sky. He gets, uh, uh, you know, the, it's almost like there was an era in which there was a false ruler, uh, Seven Macaw, representing ego. And ego needs to be a satellite of the divine self. You know, the, the proper relationship has to be restored. Um, so at the end of the cycle, there's an opportunity for humanity to put things right, to place things back into proper order, into proper relationship. Because 
I think the reason why this connects so nicely with the modern world is that we do have a lot of problems in the modern world in all of our institutions, from our religious institutions to politics. Um, we have an inverted situation going on in which we uh, celebrate consumerism and materialism, and the spiritual dimension has been relegated to uh, a, a minimized place. And and so it, it also has to do with... Um, you know, our own individual relationship with ourselves and others and the values that our uh, modern world is um, expressing, whether it's going to be a value system oriented towards relationship and partnership and creating bridges between people and nations, or just be ego-based, self-serving egoism, you know, dog-eat-dog, top-of-the-pile, greed, short-term profit motive. These are the things that need to be placed back into proper perspective, I think, if we are going to move into a healthier new era. What are the uh, current uh, contemporary Mayan elders doing and saying about this time? The contemporary Maya leaders are in a process of... Um, in a sense, reintegrating this 2012 idea back into their tradition, because, as I mentioned earlier, it's a part of their tradition that was forgotten and lost. So the details of the long count and the astronomy behind it and the connection into the creation myth and all that uh, is, is something that um, they're sort of relearning about, in a sense. I mean, many of them still remember parts of the creation myth. And most importantly, however, the modern Maya leaders and day keepers, they still do ceremony at period endings. They're smaller period endings, but they haven't forgotten the importance of sacrifice. Sacrifice is the key to successfully facilitating transformation and renewal. So that's the most important thing. And they preserve the ceremonial rites uh, through which they can do that. And that's, that's really a key thing that I think we can um, look to them for. And what we've been trying to do in a new nonprofit that I helped set up, it's called the Maya Conservancy, we are facilitating educational events to bring people to the highlands of Guatemala and the Maya lands to experience the ceremonial rites that the Maya elders do at the shrines and at the different sites. So there's a lot of exciting things going on right now, and uh, there's actually a kind of a Maya renaissance going on in the Maya villages. I guess I should preface, preface this by saying that, uh, you know, the Maya people are still alive and well. You know, there's this idea that the Maya people disappeared or something like that. That's not true at all. The the customs and the traditions are are very much alive and well in different uh, traditional Maya communities in in, uh, in uh, Central America. Let's see if you could take a minute just to explain to us uh, what is significant and important about the sacred ceremony and fire rituals that the Mayas conduct. Well, it's, uh, it's basically uh, facilitating an opening between uh, different realms. It's acknowledged that human beings occupy one dimension or one realm of the universe, but it's also uh, acknowledged that there are uh, other dimensions 
uh, namely the underworld and then the celestial realm of the deities. So the Maya universe has three realms, and the Maya believe that these three realms, realms can be um, in communication with each other, and it's very important to have that axis of communication opened up. So when they do a fire ceremony, the, the, the rite has to do with um, burning away the blocks, you might say, or the limitations that keep the doors between the realms closed. Uh, fire is actually a key ingredient of all this. Fire is the great transformer. And so the, the rites have to do with literally or metaphorically throwing your illusions, the blocks, the limitations, the things that ego makes you cling to, into the fire to be transformed. And so there can be a real experiential element to participation in the fire ceremonies, the period-ending rites that the, the Maya still perform today, and that can be applied to uh, 2012. Just uh, give us, again, a simple understanding of what, what is meant by the underworld. I think we can probably understand celestial realms, uh, but, but what does the underworld uh, encompass in a, as a dimensional realm? Well, uh, I think for the Maya, um, the underworld and the celestial realm were, in a sense, uh, similar. Uh, but I think I'd qualify that by saying that the underworld is the realm of the... Uh, um, uh, how do I say this, the uh, lower dimensional beings that are connected with, uh, so I guess you'd call it more like the, um, the chthonic earth-based uh, forces of like the snake deities and the frog deities and the alligator deities. You see these kind of deities that contain the power of generation and the power of life. And, uh, and then the higher dimensional deities are usually represented as like birds, and uh, there has to be an integration between the higher celestial deities and the lower realm or the lower forces. And actually, you see a beautiful integration of these two forces in the primary Mesoamerican deity named Quetzalcoatl. Quetzal is bird and Coatl is snake. So Quetzalcoatl is the bird-snake deity. He's the person or the being who has integrated those two forces and have, has become a, sort of like a true human being on the earth plane. So the true human being then would be a bridge, as it were, between those two realms. Exactly. Uh, John, we're coming up to our last break here, but I want to give you the opportunity when we, recur, when we return to talk about your uh, latest breakthrough research at the Tortuguero Monument 6. Okay. Um, because I think that's an, an important uh, next step in the process. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with John Major Jenkins. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tung left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. 
He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it right away. But then, time passes, and the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because, after a stroke, every minute you don't get help... is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. Have with me today John Major Jenkins. And John, please do tell us now about your latest breakthrough research at the Tortuguero Monument 6. Sure, yeah, this was uh, laid out in one of the chapters in my recent book, The 2012 Story, and there's uh, a breakthrough happening with this Monument 6 from Tortuguero contains a, a 2012 date reference, so there's been a lot of attention going to it. And there's an inscription connected to the 2012 date, which uh, Maya scholars that I'm working with are, are working on uh, deciphering and getting clear about. And uh, one of the ideas connected to this is, uh, is how, how, do, how were the Maya thinking about this 2012 date on this monument? And it's now becoming clear that there's a deity connected to this, which uh, does indeed have to do with a deity connected to um, uh, world renewal, and the idea of sacrifice at period endings. And, and so it's actually, I think, coming back full circle as a kind of an affirmation of the earlier work that I did at the site of Izapa. And uh, one of the things I'm doing with this monument, uh, Monument 6 from Tortuguero, is looking at the full inscription because there's really 13 dates on this monument. And this is really, really exciting because it's coming 
it's it's actually uh, providing a window into how they were thinking about uh, the full uh, the full sort of cosmology, you might say, with uh, with uh, 2012. And I'll actually be bringing this out in the uh, in my presentation uh, talk at the uh, Tipping Point conference in Vancouver that's coming up uh, July uh, 23rd, 4th, and 5th. And so I would encourage people to go check out my website uh, to get more information if you're in the Vancouver area, uh, end of July, uh, to check out this conference. It's going to be a, a great lineup of speakers. And that speakers all around the 2012, isn't it? Right, right. So, uh, so just, give, just give us, while you're on that topic, just give us your websites and, and sure. contacts uh, information there, John. Yeah, the, the event link can be found at uh, my website, which is uh, the2012story.com, http, you know, colon, colon, uh, colon, slash, slash, the2012story.com. That's a good reference for not only that website in my events, but links to uh, other uh, websites that I've set up for the Maya Conservancy and, uh, and, and things like that. So back to Tortuguero for a moment. Yeah. Well, Tortuguero is really, uh, it's a 7th century text, and it has to be said that uh, professional Maya scholars up until about four years ago weren't willing to say anything about 2012 because uh, my work at Azapa wasn't uh, uh, really uh, something that they were paying attention to. They wanted to have a tangible inscription that they could sink their teeth into, and many of the scholars were saying, oh, we just don't have any direct statements in the inscriptions, but now we do. And so the breakthroughs that are happening are actually coming back full circle to, in a sense, vindicate the material that I put on the table 15 years ago. So we can really understand. We have real data and information that can help us understand what the uh, ancient Maya themselves were thinking about 2012 in terms of a kind of a profound astronomical science as well as a, in terms of a profound um, spiritual teaching. And it must be emphasized that that spiritual teaching that emphasizes the importance of sacrifice for facilitating transformation and renewal is a teaching that you find really at the core of all of the world's great religious traditions. So it's not just some quaint uh, belief system of a forgotten people down there in Mexico. It's, it's, in a sense, inviting us to reactivate the roots of whatever tradition it is that we come from and to connect deeply into the core uh, spiritual teachings. So we're coming up to the end of the show, John. So I'd like to give you the opportunity in a, in a minute uh, to just summarize and, and give our listeners an insight into perhaps what they should be doing in preparation for this time. Well, I think it's important to try to pierce through all of the noise that's happening around 2012. There is a lot of that. And listeners could uh, really try to consider that this is an authentic teaching from an authentic tradition. It, it does come to us from the Maya tradition. And if you want to pierce through all the noise is to pay attention and go deeply into the Maya material itself. You know, there's no reason why we, we can't uh, engage the Maya material and understand 2012 from the vantage point of the tradition that gives us that date. I've set up a, a, a bunch of different websites, and I have a lot of pages on my sites for um, you know basic intros as well as discussions and debates around these different issues. 
And so the2012story.com is a good way to get into that, uh, that uh, material, as well as to check out uh, write-ups on my recent book, The 2012 Story, which came out last fall. It's actually my 10th book on the uh, Maya calendar and cosmology material going back to 1989. And check out the tours that we're doing, too, to uh, Central America. We have one coming up. It's an elders tour uh, inviting people to participate in ceremony with the Maya elders June 19th through 26th. So check out all of that and uh, check me out on Facebook as well, and we'll uh, get, get connected. Well, John, I really appreciate you spending this time with us today. You've, you've given a very clear presentation and understanding of, of the December 2012 galactic alignment and its significance. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Peter. So and I just want to spend a moment of, of the radio show mentioning to you that I'm actually going to hold my own uh, tele-seminar series um, addressing all of the issues we've talked about today to help people go from wherever they are in their lives today to actually begin to become fully aware of what it is that we need to do over this next couple of years uh, as we move towards the 2012 to uh, deal with all of their inner world and do their sacrifice of the blockages inside themselves and become fully aware, conscious beings of light. And so if you are interested in that, please do go to my website, petertongue.com. Uh, you can look at my uh, monthly newsletter and sign up for that. And you can also go to the events page where you will see the initial information about this series for you uh, to sign up and receive the information. On May 26th, I'm going to be doing a free uh, teleseminar class to introduce this series. Please do uh, join me on Facebook, uh, join my Facebook group and on Twitter to get regular updates of the work that we are doing. My next week's guest is Bruce Rawls, and he is going to be continuing our theme of today and looking at the two choices that we have of separation and difference or wholeness and inclusion through sacred geometry. I hope you will join me for that, and I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thank you for listening. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.